Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, yeah. And it is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. Eat your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. Will Lutz from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Welcome in to another episode of Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. Your solo host for today. I gave Steve the day off. And had some stuff he had to do, and I have a lot of audio that I wanted to throw at you anyway. So it just made sense. I'm going to be solo on this here podcast. I'm also feeling a little under the weather, so if I sound raspy at any points, keep your complaints to yourself. Part of the reason that I'm going to be letting other people talk throughout this podcast. But the other part of it is because we've gotten a lot of really interesting interviews over the last several days, and I want to share them with y'all. We had, obviously, Dennis Allen's book for about 40 minutes out in Phoenix at the NFL owners meetings. We also caught up with Mickey Loomis. And then yesterday, which would be Tuesday, we are recording this on Wednesday, I was out at the LSU Pro Day, and we got to catch up with Saints linebackers coach Michael Hodges who we don't get to speak to that often, so that was interesting. And then offensive line coach Doug Marone, it was also just an event that had a ton of Saints influence with Joe Woods, Marcus Robertson, Todd Grantham, and others all in attendance, either leading drills or watching the action close at hand. Bill Belichick was also there. Bit of star power for your LSU Pro Day. We're going to get into a lot of that, so we're going to talk about the news and notes in this first segment. We're going to get more into the Pro Day and a local prospect that I think is going to be interesting to watch. Then in the final segment, I'm going to title it, Why is Everyone So Mad? And I'm going to get into two topics that I think people are genuinely overreacting about as it pertains to the Saints. But news first, and the biggest thing that happened in this past week, which Doug Marone confirmed, is that the Saints are hiring Jari Evans. Yes, that Jari Evans, the former All-Pro New Orleans Saints guard, He was serving in the diversity internship slot along with Ty Warren last season, and he is now hired into the role that was vacated by Zach Streif. It's a little confusing how it's set up this year. They obviously already hired Kevin Carberry, who will be an offensive line assistant apparently, while Jari Evans will be the assistant offensive line coach. Call it whatever you want. It is a good hire for the Saints. They get another former player in the building. And it always made sense when Zach Streif went out of town to Denver. I think the first thing I tweeted was, man, Jari Evans would make a whole lot of sense in that spot if the Saints can get him there. And it was really, to me, it was just a question of whether Jari wanted to coach. It's obviously a big 
big time commitment, right? I feel like once coaches get into it, they usually stay into it. But there's a lot of people who just don't want to. Like Drew Brees, for instance, has told everyone straight up, I do not want to be in coaching. I have kids. I want to spend time with my kids. And when you're coaching, that is all you are doing all the time, right? Like, so it is a big invest and it's a good thing for the Saints that Jari has decided that's what he wants to do because I think he's going to be a big influence in that locker room, particularly with the younger players who, who I think, and Doug Marone mentioned this, it's kind of hard to relate to kind of a 60-year-old dude. <laughs> you know, it's kind of nice to have a, pl- a guy who played in the last two decades kind of leading you through some of this stuff. Having a younger person in that role, which obviously Streif qualified as, is helpful. It helps you relate to the players. The players can relate to you. They they can remember seeing you play, right? Um, and so I think that's that's important. And here is Doug Marone talking about that hire and and why Jari was such a good fit in that role. I think he was thinking about it. You know, I think that's that's the the, the first stage. I think a lot of these players, I've 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 fallen short for all my players because if you ever talk to anyone I've ever coached the first thing I tell them is you know whatever you do don't don't be a coach you know what I'm saying and the reason why I say it it's a great profession you know it's a it's a tough business you know you move around quite a bit and you move around with your family but I think you know Jari was into a lot of things when he first got done he's, he's very successful and I just think that he started to work with some players and started training some players and and you just have a love for it you know you you love the game and you know, now you're trying to say, okay, how do I get in? How do I see where I fit? And, you know, the opportunity presented itself for us, and we have him back, and, and I'm excited because I think he'll be, um, you know, a great asset for, for our coaching staff, but more so probably the players. I think that, you know, uh, a person that's had a lot of success, uh, has played and done everything the right way, is a great example for younger players coming into the league of what they need to do. And I think, you know, Jarrett's experience there and, um, you know, the age where he's a little bit closer to them, where I'm getting a little bit old in the tooth, I think that, that, helps, out, that, that helps out quite a bit. You look at this coaching staff and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of talented people on it. And it's going to be interesting to see how much they lose with Zach Streif going out to Denver. The other name that you might recall being hired is Kevin Carberry. He was the former Rams offensive line coach, and it appears he has been hired into one of the assistant roles. I think that was kind of confusing as you built it out of, okay, what exactly is Jari Evans doing versus what exactly is Kevin Carberry doing versus what exactly is Doug Marone doing? And I think we'll still have to see how that develops. Last year, Zach Streep was working more with the younger players Right. And he was helping them develop. And Doug Marone was focusing more with the older players. And I don't know if you're going to have that same kind of platoon. What you might do this year with Jari is you have him work with the guards. He worked with Cesar Ruiz a lot last year. And I think you saw a lot of development there that you hadn't seen. And I don't know if that's specifically because of Jari or if it's because it kind of just clicked for Caesar, who finally had a full offseason. But I think having someone who can say that they were a premier guard in the NFL is actually very helpful because no shade on Zach Streif, but he was a tackle. He didn't play guard in the NFL. So there's only so much that he can impart uh, to a guard who's trying to learn the fine details of playing guard in the NFL. And that's why I always like the idea of having Jari on the coaching staff. And, you know, I don't know how involved Kevin Carberry is going to be or what role he's going to have, but even he is a former offensive line coach in the NFL. And to have him in the assistant role is, is very valuable. 
But all right, moving on a little bit. So we got some info about Trevor Penning this week, and that was always going to be the case when we talked to Doug Marone. We also heard from DA on Penning, but I thought what Doug Marone had to say was particularly interesting because he likened Trevor to Jari in the sense that they're both finishers. They finish plays. And if you don't understand what that means, go watch any Trevor Penning clips and you can see him just throwing players out of bounds. Like that's how you finish a play. You have to have that in you. You have to have that that drive, that kind of gear in you to just not be satisfied just blocking a play. You want to block him into the dirt. And that's what Trevor has. And this is kind of a trimmed down answer. He talked a lot on Trevor Penning. I'm not going to play the whole clip for you because it's about three minutes long. But, you know, he talked about the development that was occurring with Trevor Penning and how it had had really kind of taken a leap forward during those joint practices with the Packers last year. And one thing that Dennis Allen confirmed this week is the Saints will be having joint practices with the Chargers. And so if you're wondering, oh, why is there, there why what's the value in having those practices? Well, for someone like Penning, who didn't get a lot of reps last year, who only was able to play in the preseason, then got hurt, and then he was out 12 weeks, and then he came back and he was learning the jumbo tight end role, which is tough for a rookie who hasn't even figured out how to play in the NFL yet. All of a sudden, he's doing all these different things. And then he finally got incorporated into the offense in week 18, and then obviously had the list Frank injury, and, and he's recovering from that. But it was at the joint practices with the Packers that, from Doug's perspective, really helped him kind of get off the ground. And I don't think it's a coincidence that suddenly you have competition and you are advancing more quickly and you are, you know, real competition, not just your other, your opponents trying to work on their own stuff. These guys are actually trying to beat you and make you look bad. And so I think when you're a competitive person, that does bring things out of you that you might not have, that you might not get in a practice setting, especially someone like Trevor who thrives on that, you know, volatility, I think would be a good way to put it. But here's what Doug had to say about Trevor and Trevor's development to this point in the offseason. Doing really well. Uh, you know, he's in the building every day. I mean, he's he's doing everything he can as well as like Caesar, you know, also is coming off an injury. So they're in there. Trainers doing a great job. So we're excited for them to come back. But, you know, there'll be a progression again, you know, so, um, you know, especially for Trevor, more so than Caesar because Caesar, you know, obviously, you know, played a bunch. But, um, you know, looking for him to get, get him back on track and see how we can accelerate that. That'll be our challenge for when he does come back. You know, how do we accelerate it? Because, you know, we're looking to see, you know, the player in year two of a full year perform at the, the level that we expect him to and he expects to perform at. So we have to, as we go through this off season, figure out how we can accelerate that and, and create a good plan, which we've already been in discussion talking about. Yeah, and I think, and Dennis Allen, when he was asked, he said the sky is the limit. That's a direct quote for Trevor. And it's just a matter of whether he can stay on the field. And that's what you want to hear is that he is at the facility and he is working diligently this offseason because I don't think a lot of people are concerned with his abilities. I don't think a lot of people are concerned with what he's able to do on the field, at least not in terms of being a competent starting left tackle in the NFL. I think he showed that last year. But what we don't know, is whether he can get through a 17-game season. I mean, when you look at the number of snaps he had on the field versus the number of significant injuries, it's not a pretty picture. And with a big guy like that, you know, you'd almost rather see upper body injuries, right? Like Andrews Pete 
was injury prone, but it was it was often like, oh, he broke his forearm, he fractured his thumb, stuff that is just kind of a freak accident. But you can look at it and say, there's not a ton he can do differently to avoid that. It's just you know bad luck. And you can say the same thing about Trevor, but it becomes more concerning because you can't just put his foot in a cast and say, go do it. You desperately need your feet as an offensive lineman. And if those are letting you down, you're in trouble. I mean, that's true of a lot of positions on the field, but at offensive line, when you're 300 pounds and you're trying to push back another 300 pound guy, keep up with him around the edge, you know, that's, <laughs> that gets ugly fast. So that's going to be something to watch, but it is good to hear that both he and Cesar Ruiz are, are on track there. DA said that they expect him to be ready at some point in camp. The team is hopeful that both he and Ruiz will be ready to, at the start of camp. I think it's a little more likely that Ruiz is ready for the beginning of the camp process because his injury came about three weeks before Trevor's. So he has a bit of a head start on that recovery process. And so if there's a timeline you're trying to hit, his will be slightly earlier. So we'll have to watch that. But one other update on the injured player, and I'm going to play the entire clip for you so there's no misconstrued uh, tone or anything. And it's Dennis Allen talking about Michael Thomas. He says he's not 100% yet. Keep in mind it is March. But this is what he had to say on Mike Thomas and his non-timeline. Yeah, I don't want to get into specifics on that. Um, uh, but yet... Look, he's making progress in the recovery. Um, he's not 100%. Um, and and we're gonna we're gonna be cautious with it um, and take our time. And and um, you know we don't really want to put him out there until he's 100%. What does it say for the I guess the trust between both sides that he continues to want to try to make it work in New Orleans? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, look, I think the acquisition of, of, of Derek was, was big in and, and, and that uh, thought process. Um, I don't want to speak for Mike, um, but I also just think that, you know, I, I think Mike knows and, 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 and a lot of our players know that, that you know, they work, they work for one of the better organizations in our league, and, and um, you know, we're going to have a chance to, to do some good things this year. You said not 100% because people are going to jump out. Like, is that an optimistic, not 100% like you expect him? Yeah, I don't. I, I, I expect him to be fully healthy and ready to go. Um, when that point in time is, I, I don't want to get into those speculations, but, um, but yeah, we feel good about where he's at. Yeah, so, I mean, whenever you hear that regarding Mike Thomas, and I tweeted it basically like, stop me if you've heard this one before, Mike Thomas is not 100%. But it is a little tongue-in-cheek because you have to understand he had surgery in November, right? He injured himself in week three. He, The team and Mike opted to try to rehab it without surgery with the hope that he could return in the 2022 season, right? Like if he had the surgery immediately, you could argue that maybe he should have had it immediately. But I think the idea was, well, we can try this and there's a chance we get him back this season. If he had the surgery, his season would have been over anyway. So you're really just losing a few weeks in the in the wash there. And keep in mind, we're two months away from OTAs. We are four months away from training camp. He doesn't have to be 100% ready right now. So I don't think that that, I don't want people to take that as, oh, he's he's behind schedule or he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. At this point, I think you are still in the recovery timeline and you really just want to see that the real question is whether he's going to be out there at OTAs anyway. 
if he's not going to be at OTAs anyway, and you're talking about June, then he has three months to, to rehab. So I'm not worried about it. I don't think anyone else should be. Um, I think the team is very comfortable with where Mike Thomas is. And I think Mike is very comfortable where, with my, where Mike Thomas is, considering he's decided to come back. So if you heard the people in the background, we're talking to DA at the NFL owners meetings in Phoenix. I was not there. I didn't get to go out to Phoenix this week, but you know, he talked for about 40 minutes and he did hit some other topics, which is what I'll close out with here. The first he was asked about basically all the free agents that were signed, but the one that I'll play is about Brian Edwards since it was the most recent. And here's what he had to say about the former Raiders wide receiver that the Saints brought in late last week. We, we had a lot of really good grades on him coming out in the draft. And, and so we felt really good about that. We felt good about the relationship that he has with, with Derek. Um, I know when we played them out in, in Vegas in the 2020 season, um, I was impressed with some of the things that I saw in terms of a big physical you know, pass catcher. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think he's, he's a guy that, that I think, you know, you, you bring him in, you put him in the mix, and I uh, think he's got a chance to help us. Yeah, so if you go back and you look at all of the Saints signings this offseason, and in most seasons, right? There's going to be some common threads when you're you're hearing coaches talk about why they're here. And you heard a couple of them in this one. They had good grades on them coming out of the draft. So he came out in 2020. Now this was the COVID year, right? So there was limited scouting. So who knows whether if they had a better chance to take a look at him, maybe they'd have gone after him in the draft. He went pretty early. He went in the third round. And so if you're keeping score, this is the third player that we've heard this about. You heard this about Colin Saunders. You heard this about Brian Edwards. The only difference between Colin and Brian and those two is that Brian was not at the senior bowl. So they didn't really get a good look at him there. But I think when you're hearing the Saints say, man, they had a good grade on him coming out. Well, why didn't they draft him? Well, he went in the third round. So like you might have a good grade on a guy, but say, yeah, he's probably a fourth round target, right? Or maybe a fifth round target. And so you're not going to pull the trigger in the third round, but now you're going to get a chance at him in free agency and it just it's not going to cost you a draft pick so you're going to bring him in right and so i think that's what you're seeing here is a lot of these guys were potential draft picks for the saints but got picked a bit earlier than the saints were comfortable drafting them and now you're taking your shot and bringing them in the other thing he said was you know we're going to work him in see what he has and i don't like i said this before i don't think he's guaranteed a roster spot by any stretch he's going to have to come in and earn it how is he going to do that? Well, going to have to be a contributor on special teams. And he's going to have to prove he can make contested catches. He's going to have to prove he can step in in that Mike Thomas role if Mike misses time. Because I think that this team is very aware of the fact that last year, you did not have that. You Mike Thomas went down, Jarvis Landry went down, and you played a majority of the season without a real contested catch guy. If you look at the PFF stats, the Saints didn't have anybody with more than eight contested catches on the season. And that was Chris Olave, who only had about a 30% contested catch rate. If you go back to the 2021 season, which is the last season that Brian Edges was really involved in an offense. He obviously went out to Atlanta last year, but was not, you know, part of that offense at all. It was eventually cut. He had 10 contested catches on 49 targets with the Raiders. I believe that number is right. He had 34 catches. 10 of them were contested. So, I mean, you can say, well, why isn't he getting open so that his catches aren't all contested? But there's still something to be said for the ability to make them and the ability to just go up and get a ball. And, and I think that's what Brian prides himself on. And so if he makes this roster, it's going to be because of that. 
The final thing I will hit from Dennis Allen is the most bizarre storyline that I've seen in a while. And also a little, a little note that, that he threw in there that I was surprised by. And we're going to talk about Foster Morrow. Obviously he was diagnosed with cancer during his saints physical. We know that. And he will be stepping away from football as he battles that disease. You know, all the prayers are going to him, but here's what DA had to say about learning that news and how, how it all kind of developed. Well, number one, number one, I was shocked, you know, because, um, I was driving in that morning and, and, um, you know, got a call from Michael Parenton and I'm, I'm, I'm asking him, you know, was Mickey at breakfast with, with Foster? And he said, no, you haven't heard yet. And I, was, I said, no. And, and, and he told me what, what had happened. And so first thing is you're shocked. Um, and then the second thing I think of is I think about our medical people and the lives that they've saved, specifically John Amos. You know, we found the heart condition with Nick Fairley. We found a heart condition with John Dornboss. The, the, the offensive lineman that we claimed from Buffalo, we found a heart condition with him. Um, you know, and now with, with this, I mean, look, you don't like to find these things, but yet... In term, like you don't want to, you don't want to see these these things be present, but yet our medical people being able to find these things and really save people's lives is is uh, um, it's amazing, and and I think our medical people do a, do a hell of a job. So there's kind of the story behind it. But if you were listening, you heard Da reference the lineman they claimed from the Bills last year. And so that's a guy by the name of Tanner Owen. If you remember, the Saints only made one waiver claim after after the cutdowns to 53. And it was Tanner Owen from the Bills. And they brought him in. They liked him enough to bring in, right? And he was waived like four days later with an injury designation. We really didn't get any information on that. He wasn't around long enough for anyone to, for it to make any waves. And he kind of just went his own way. Well, what you heard from DA right there is that he was waived because the medical staff found a heart condition, not dissimilar to John Dorenboss, who he referenced from the Eagles that they traded for from the Eagles, who had ended his career. He had to have open heart surgery, Nick Fairley, another situation. So four times since 2017, the Saints medical staff has uncovered a serious medical condition. And you know what? The Saints medical staff has received a lot of flack over the last, I don't know, eight or nine years. Obviously, the Delvin Bro situation. But, you know, and obviously, and, you know, Michael Thomas, I think we've seen throw some shade. But there is something to be said for what they have done here and that, you know, they could have saved all of these people's lives potentially. So I think that's pretty cool. And uh, I was, I thought it was interesting to hear DA talk about it. But all right, let's wrap that segment up. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the LSU Pro Day, some takeaways from that, some more from Michael Hodges and Doug Marone, who I got to talk to out there. And, you know, what... What are the Saints really looking for when they go to these types of things? I'm Jeff Nowak, coming back at you on Inside Blood. Any extra data points on these guys? And, and really, my, my personal experience from that is Kate Ellis. I would not have gone to probably walk, watch that guy if they didn't make me. And then I came out of there saying, we got to talk about this player, sure enough. So that was my lesson early on when I got here, and, and it's, it's paid dividends for sure. And so anything you can be around these guys, talk to them, get to know them a little bit, uh, it helps us kind of grade the makeup, which is a big deal for our process. 
and uh, it's just important to be around him as often as possible before we make some of these decisions. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. Going solo today. But I do have some voices with me. And that was Michael Hodges, Saints linebackers coach. He's a guy that we don't hear from that often. But, you know, if you look at the more effective groups on this team every year, linebacker is always at the top of the list. And you heard him reference Caden Ellis there. And he's talking about what I think is vastly undervalued in the scouting process by most people just going to these schools and and watching players in person and getting an idea of what makes them tick he told us that he had been to six schools in five days he was out at Tulane recently and he talked about Caden Ellis who he ended up being kind of forced to go watch right back in 2017, the year he was drafted. And if, if not for that, if not for this kind of fascination with going and seeing players in person, you, I don't think they would have drafted him. I don't think he would have ended up there and you saw how he developed and how effective he was in the, the field that he cashed in on. And so that's the value of going to these schools and going to these pro days. And so you were there yesterday and he got a good look at Micah Baskerville, BJ Ojolari, Mike Jones, who, and I did think it was interesting that he listed B.J. Ojolari when he was asked about linebackers. So I think if the Saints are looking at B.J. Ojolari, it might be as kind of a converted linebacker, kind of a converted Sam Backer, pass rusher, kind of hybrid guy. I still don't think that he's a likely candidate just because he doesn't really fit the way they operate. If he, he's a 3-4 linebacker, in my opinion, I don't see any way around it. But either way, you know, he's an intriguing guy. And so you go you go out to these pro days and you 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 watch the players and I think both Mike and Doug Marone had important things to say. And I promise you, this is leading to something. Here's Doug Marone uh, on something that he sees to be vitally important. And then the more you're around the player, you know, you get a chance to know a little bit more of, you know, the motivation behind the player, um, which I think is important to see, you know, what, what, what you're really going to get, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when you get them in the classroom and you talk to them and just the communication. I think that's important, especially now with the way the rules are in our league where, you know, you really don't have the players as much as you did maybe earlier when I was coaching. So, you know, a lot of it is going to be dependent upon, you know, the player for his success is, you know, what his motivation is in the offseason, how hard he's going to work, you know, at whatever it's nutrition or training or working out or, you know, but mostly uh, the skill work because that's the one thing that you, that you miss when you're away from the building. And so, yeah, what he's saying there, right, you don't get as much time in the offseason to work with these players. There's no fitness going on at at training camp, right? It's all drills. It is all work. If you don't come in there in shape on your own, if you don't do the work on your own and kind of do technique work on your own, you are going to be behind. You, are, you have not done your job if that's the case. You have to be able to do that on your own. And so going forward, here's another clip. This one from Michael Hodges, and he was asked about how important is character? You hear that word a lot. It has kind of this amorphous meaning, but you know how important is that kind of character grade in your evaluation and when you're looking at the draft class? It's incredibly important. We won't draft a player unless that checks out. Before we talk about their, them as players, we talk about their makeup, and it is um, something that I learned when I got here, and it's and it's been extremely important. I mean, it it can make or break your draft class. So a guy, if he's if he's got some major issues, you're probably We'll put a different color tag on that player and not draft him, even if he's elite. I mean, I think that says it right there. You can be an elite player. If they don't trust that you're going to come in and do the work, if they, if they think you're going to be an issue, they won't draft you. Like, there's a lot of talented players out there. They will move on. 
They will actually put your name on the board in a different color. So they don't take you by accident. Think about that. They are literally putting these guys' names up on the board in a different color so they don't forget. So they don't accidentally be like, you know what? I, I liked his film. Let's take him. They are making sure they remember not to pick that person. And say what you want about draft strategy. It's what a lot of teams do. And I, and I belabor this point because when you go to these pro days, you see guys who do everything. They do all the work. You know, Jarek Bernard Converse, who wasn't even invited to the combine. He'd done nothing since January but work out and get ready for his pro day. He went and he jumped a 42-inch vertical leap. He would have been tied for third at the combine. He ran a 4-4-40. You know, I don't know if he's going to get drafted, but scouts saw that. Scouts are aware of him now, and he made sure they were aware of him. BJ Ojolari is another example of a guy. He's got a he's got a hamstring injury. It prevented him from doing a lot of the workouts at the combine. He played through it in his pro day because it meant that much to him to get that kind of last bit of work in front of in front of scouts. And then you go to probably the the most enigmatic player on that LSU team, a guy that I I've seen a lot of a lot of mock drafts putting to the Saints in even the second round, maybe the third round, and it's Kayshawn Booty, a local kid, a guy I went up there wanting to be impressed with, wanting to be like, "Wow, his combine performance was an aberration." And he has spent the last month doing nothing but working on his vertical leap so that he can put up something better than a 29.5. That is in the second percentile. And, and that's not good. You want to be in the 100th. 100th is best. Second is worst. He is that low at a 29.5-inch vertical leap for a wide receiver, for an athlete. Right? We're talking to Jerry Bernard Converse, cornerback, jumped 13 inches higher than Kayshawn Booty. Who who people are looking at in the third round. And, and that's not even he didn't even jump. He ran a four five forty at the combine. Okay, decent, not great. His other attempt was a four six seven. You would think, oh, maybe he's been training his 40 time and maybe come out and try to put a four four out there to really kind of show he has that elite athleticism. Nope. Didn't run that either. Didn't do the broad jump. Didn't do the shuttle. He did do the L drill, which is basically a warm-up. And then he goes out and he does the individual drills. And you can, and that's where it's frustrating. Because you can see just how good he is. You can see the footwork and you can hear it. He was out there with Jare Jenkins and it was like watching people playing two different sports with the speed with which he can move his feet and the way he can turn and the way he can, he can change direction and control his body in the air. But then you get to the downfield work. And, and, and keep in mind, like he looks good in these drills. If you go and you look at the clips on the internet, the things people tweeted out, you're going to come away thinking, man, he looks good. He could be a second round pick. He could be a third round pick. But it's what you didn't see that I think scouts did see that is the reason I'm putting him in the fifth round. I don't know if he's going to go on day two. He might not go till mid-day three. And it's because if you watched him in between routes, he ran maybe 10, maybe 15, 20, I don't know. Either way, it was like 15% maybe of what you would see at a standard NFL practice, which, you know, I also couldn't run a full NFL practice, but I'm not trying to make it in the NFL. He's downfield. He catches the ball. He jogs as far away as possible so that he can slowly walk back because he is exhausted. He's dripping sweat, panting twice. He had to ask to stop to get a water break. Keep in mind, all the scouts are watching this. I have not seen a single LSU player go ask for a water break. This is indoors. This is a climate-controlled building, and he looks like he's about to fall over. Later in the drills, he runs a, he runs a go route. He catches the ball. He goes to the back of the end zone, waits, 
And then he's flagged down Jaden Daniels, who's throwing the passes. He's like, let's switch, let's switch sides of the field. Well, no one told him to switch sides of the field. No one running the drills told him to switch sides of the field. He didn't want to jog back. And I'm not trying to trash this kid, but it's just an example. He didn't get in shape for his own pro day. What? How do you expect an NFL scout to react to that when they see that? And you know, maybe you can give him the benefit of the doubt and say he was sick. I don't think he was sick. I think this is just, he did not do the work. He did not do a sliver of the work that you would have expected him to do to just be in shape for his pro day. That kid can roll out of bed and be a pro wide receiver, but just, you know, go for a jog. Right. And, and I know, I think that the ankle injury that kind of ended his sophomore season, you know, it was significant. We've seen how ankle injuries can impact people. Right. But that doesn't prevent you from being in shape. Right. Like, sure. Maybe the vertical leap numbers, you can say, maybe there's some rehab that needs to be done and he can get that up. I mean, there's nothing preventing you from being in football shape except for you. And if I'm an NFL scout and I'm looking at that, no way. No way. Because you heard you heard what Doug Marone said, and that's why I played you that clip. These guys have to be responsible for their own fitness. They have to do that. And if you're not going to do that, you're a liability. And, you know, I'm just incredibly disappointed in him. Because, like, I would love to see him in a Saints jersey, but not that way. Not not working the way he did. And so that's why, you know, you look at these pro days and you you have to dig a little deeper than just watching how they look in their highlight reels. Because if you only watch the highlights from that pro day, you would think, man, he, he looks great. And I think there's going to be, we're going to get to the draft and he's going to be on the board in the fourth round. Maybe, maybe late third. Maybe someone takes a swing on him at the end of day two because they don't want to wait around until day three. Maybe. But either way, when the Saints pick at 71, I guarantee you he's on the board. And everyone's going to be like, oh, take Kayshawn. Take Kayshawn. Nope. No way. Not going to happen. And it's really disappointing because, I mean, I've, I remember watching him as a freshman and thinking that kid's going to be a superstar. And you don't want to ever see someone not reach their potential because they're not willing to do the work. You know, we like we all saw Jamarcus Russell go number one overall and then have his coaches like send him home with blank film tape because they didn't think he was studying film. And then he would come back with notes. It's just not good. Like, like think about a lot of the receivers that that go in the mid rounds and make it in the NFL, right? You think Adam Thielen went to his pro day out of shape? You think you think he 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 doesn't work maniacally in the offseason, right? Mike Thomas. We can talk all we want about how you you think Mike Thomas might not be ever get back to where he is and and he's more trouble than he's worth, whatever. That guy works as hard as anybody. He would not be in the NFL if he didn't work harder than anyone else in the room. Right, he's not a superstar athlete. It's, he's a self-made superstar in the NFL, and he and he made himself that through hard work. Yeah. So I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully he gets some better people around him and some someone who can like lead him on a jog. Because Kayshawn, he could be a very good NFL receiver, but he has to do the work to get there, and I just don't see it happening. And so that's why you know you go to these pro days, and 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 I I might sound worked up about it. I am because it bothers me wait, to see someone waste talent. And, and that's what he's doing. But yeah, that's, that's really all I have in that segment. But I did think that you hear from Mike Hodges and you hear from Doug Marone. And, and I think ev- they're all saying the same thing. Everyone on the Saints is saying the same thing. So if you're looking at a, at a player in the draft and saying, man, why aren't the Saints picking him? In a lot of instances, there's probably a chance that they found something. They saw something. They, they learned something. And it took him off their board. Because I don't think injury history is is one of those things. I think that they're willing to overlook injury history to an extent. We've seen it. We've seen it happen. 
Like they're not going to take Kayshawn off their board because of the ankle injuries. They might see that as a as a as an added value of we can get him later in the draft because people are scared off by the injuries. But when you have a red flag about someone's personality, about someone's work ethic, about the people someone surrounds themselves with and the people they're getting advice from, that will take you off the same board really quick. And that's why the Senior Bowl, I think, is such a big asset because where do you learn all that information? With interviews, with time on task, with being able to sit down and talk to people. And that's where you get to do it. So I don't think it's a coincidence. And I don't think K-Town Booty is going to get drafted by the Saints. And I don't think he's going to get drafted in the top three rounds. That's all I got. Coming back with one more segment here on Inside Black and Gold. Back for one more here on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. It's very helpful. This podcast is free wherever you get your podcasts. So all I ask from you is to hit the subscribe button, maybe leave a review, definitely leave a rating. Five stars, four stars, three stars, two stars, one star. If you give me one star, you better have a good reason. You better be like Kayshawn Booty's mom or something. If that's the case, then then by all means, leave me a one-star review because I definitely earned that. But we're going to shift gears here from why am I so mad to why is everyone else so mad? And there's two topics that I want to hit here, and it's going to be hinging on audio, hinging on audio, hinging on audio, hinging on audio. And the first, and this was brought to my attention by by in a, in a meeting a couple of days ago, where I was told that there was this big resentment forming and and just anger toward Sean Payton for poaching Saints staffers. And to me, I'm like, why? What did you expect to happen? And, and I think maybe part of it is they're still mad about, about him going to Denver in the first place. And they're mad about him leaving and retiring just to with the sole intention of coming back somewhere else. Which is fine. You can be mad at him about that. But I'm not mad at him for for taking Zach Streif away from the Saints. Because why would you be? If the Saints wanted to keep Zach Streif on staff, they would have made him the offensive line coach last year. Right? Like, Sean didn't poach Zach Streif. Sean gave Zach Streif the job that he already deserved. And the Saints did not give him. They hired Doug Marone, who I think did a very good job in his own right. And here's what Doug said when I asked him about that hire by Denver. You know, Zach, obviously that was Sean in Denver now. Was that, was that a surprise? Did you expect him to go? And what do you kind of see for him going no, up there? I didn't, I didn't. I, I don't think I, think, I think when people say surprise, it's someone that is probably not ready for a job. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That you'd be like, ooh, you know, I don't right. know. But I don't think that's the case at all. I think that, um, you know, I think I when I first got back there, you know, Zach was – was ready to be, you know, an offensive line coach. So I don't see it as a surprise at all. I see someone that's, you know, extremely smart, extremely um, uh, attention to detail, um, someone that's, you know, very good technician, very good schematically, uh, very good in front of the room, very good at explaining and coaching and communicating. So uh, I think it's a, a great a great opportunity that, it, that presented itself for him, that one that, that he had to take. So Doug Marone says, I'm not surprised. 
he he didn't go so far as to say he expected it. But he's like, I'm not surprised because he's ready for that job. He's ready for the job that I had when I got here. He was ready for that job. So if you're if you're going to be mad at anyone for Zach Streif leaving, be mad at the the Saints. Be mad at Dennis Allen for not giving Zach that job outright to begin with. Because even if you ask Doug, he's ready for that job. He was ready for that job. When Doug walked in the room, he was ready for that job. So I don't know why you're upset about it. The Declan Doyle, I don't know. Were the Saints going to hire him as their tight ends coach? Maybe, maybe. But they pretty quickly transitioned to Clancy Barone. And I think that he fits the kind of profile of the coaches they hired a whole lot better than Declan Doyle did, which is they wanted to bring in established veteran coaches. In Declan, while being, I think, a very good assistant in that role, he was not that. Sean was much more interested in bringing in people he knew, and so he brought in Declan Doyle. But in in case you're wondering what DA thinks about this, here is what he had to say on Sean poaching his staff. Yeah, look, I mean, that's part of the business. You know, it's... it's, uh part of what we deal with and and, and certainly um, yeah I knew that, that he had guys that were on the staff that he felt comfortable with um, and was going to want to bring some guys with him and, and um, you know so we were we were we were aware of that and prepared for that and, and yet um, he didn't get all the ones he wanted didn't get all the ones he wanted and that's true Uh, He tried to hire Kevin Petrie. Kevin Petrie said, I'm going to stay in New Orleans. He's a Saints assistant. He's been there for a couple of years now. He's from this area. So I would have been surprised if he did leave. There is one person that you could be mad at in terms of taking a bunch of Saints staffers. And I don't think it's Sean because all Sean did was hire the people that he found that he pulled out of the woodwork. He drafted Zach Streif. He's told that story about how he called his coach at Northwestern to talk about somebody else. And and the coach was like, no, that's Zach Streif. You should talk about him. He can play in your league. And Sean walked into the room and he took the he took the, the tag out of the UDFA part of the board and he moved it over to the sixth round. They ended up taking him in the seventh round. So fast forward, you know, 17 years or whatever. And what does Sean do when he has an offensive line assistant role? He hires Zach Streif into that role. So why wouldn't he have hired him? Like the, the way you prevent that is by giving him the offensive line coach job again. But there is one person who you could be mad at, and that's Terry Fontenot up in Atlanta, right? Like he left <laughs> and after leaving, goes and you know, signs all the Saints free agents, hires Ryan Nielsen, right? Like that's the guy who actually messed up the Saints offseason this year because I think they wanted to bring back David Onyemata because they didn't want to take a $10 million cap hit with him leaving. But Terry Fontenot was like, nah, I got a checkbook and I'm willing to use it, and he signs him. They wanted to bring back Caden Ellis. Michael Hodges said that himself. He said, yeah, it was a, it was a bummer to see him leave. But guess what Terry did? Whips out the checkbook and says, I got the money. I'm not afraid to use it. Gives him three years, $21 million. So that's the frustrating one because <laughs> the Saints groomed him and then he left and 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 starts stealing all their stuff. So that's the guy. If you, have, if you want to be mad at somebody, get mad at him. But no one's mad at him. They're only mad at Sean. It is what it is. But I can't be mad about it, right? Like I see a guy get a promotion. I'm not going to be like, oh, how dare he? not stay in New Orleans. Like, what What do people expect him to do? Right? What's the alternative? Sean doesn't offer him the job out of principle? 
even though he thinks he's the best option. Zach gets offered a clear promotion to be a position coach from an assistant role. And he's like, nah, I'm loyal to Dennis Allen. <laughs> no, come on, be reasonable. Anyway, moving on to something that I think we'll all agree on is the outrage on the salary cap. And I talk about the salary cap a lot. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw shade at anyone in particular, even though you know exactly who I'm referring to. But the interesting thing is both DA and Mickey Loomis were asked about kind of the cap management this week and how they feel about it. <laughs> and I thought Dennis Allen's answer was funny because much like most of the fans who kind of just observe this from afar, you're like, I don't know how they do it, but I'm just glad it works. And that's essentially what Dennis Allen says here. We were in way better shape this year than we were last year, right? You know? Um, yeah, look, I think what Mickey and Kai are able to do in that regard is is is, is pretty cool. Um, you know, and, and, and really, had it not been for the COVID year, there, there really wouldn't be... really wouldn't be in the situation that we're in right now you know uh, but it's all part of look and most of that goes over my head it takes somebody way smarter than me to figure out the salary cap that's why we have Kai um, but it, but it's all part of how we how we handle our contracts and, and and how we design our contracts knowing that you know restructures will be part of what we do and here's you heard him reference Kai Harley there. Here's here's Mickey talking about Kai as well. Yeah, said you know Kai's uh, you know one of the hidden secrets of the NFL, and and I'm really glad we have him. Um, he does a magnificent job, not just in terms of restructuring deals, but com- but coming up with uh, a plan for us, you know, to be able to handle not just this year but the future years. And and um, yeah, he's just he's an asset for us and a guy that I really rely on. And I think that that's kind of what people forget when they get all up in arms about how can they keep doing this? How do they keep getting away with this? Is that it's not just them being like, you know, their heads on fire and they're like, we need to do this and we need to do this. There's a plan. Like this is all planned. They go in three year cycles and sure. If they were just going willy nilly and being like, whatever, whatever, let's do it. No, this is all kind of structured in a way that is, that is very much, planned out from year to year to year. It's part of the reason that you look at, you, know, you talked about this a couple episodes ago when you're talking about free agency and you know they don't just like go out and negotiate with, with just random ideas of how much they're going to pay, right? They will go to agents and say, we want this guy. This is how we plan to use him. This is what we're willing to pay. Let us know. And in a lot of cases, you end up getting those guys because it's not about a bidding war a lot of the time. It's about being wanted. And I think that you b- benefit from having people who want to be in your building. That's what Colin Saunders was. That's what Nathan Shepard was. That's what Jamal Williams was. Right? They're not going out and just saying, we'll pay you whatever you want. Come here. They're going out with a number. They're sticking to that number and they're bringing them in. And you do that because you have a plan. You have a structure. But it's easier to be mad. And this is, this is uh, well, we'll wrap after this. This is uh, Mickey kind of talking about this. This is one of the first times I've heard him acknowledge all the anger. He's not on Twitter, right? I'm sure he just gets sent clips. But here, here, here he is talking about it, that. It does get a reaction. I think, you know, unfairly sometimes. I don't think it's, we're not the only team that, that does restructures and does things to create cap room. 
We all do it. Um, I don't know why we get so much attention for it, but we have. Um, look, we, we have a plan going forward. Once in a while, you get um, you know a wrench thrown into those plans, like COVID did to us a few years ago, and that created a, a bit of a problem. But but we'll handle it going forward. And there you have it. It's the way the Saints operate. They have a plan, and that plan includes a gambit to go get a quarterback, right? You had it last year and you took a shot with Deshaun Watson. Did not work out. He ended up in Cleveland. I think it's a good thing for the Saints that it did not work out. But that was going to mess with your cap table when if it did, right? So you saw that they were willing to kind of go all in for a quarterback at that point, which is why when Derek Carr became available, you knew that that was going to be the case again because you've already demonstrated that it's like, we're going to go after a quarterback. And that's what they did. And they brought him in. And now that you've done that, now you can be more judicious. Like you heard what Dennis Allen said of we were in a better position this year than we were last year because you didn't get the quarterback. You you stuck with Jameis Winston. You stuck with Taysom Hill. You stuck with Andy Dalton. You went with Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton and you saved a, you saved a good amount of money on that deal. And it helped you get a little bit lower. Next year, you're not going to be in a better situation, because, but you brought in the quarterback and that was the plan all along. You would have been in a worse cap situation this year if you would manage to get Deshaun Watson. So you're just looking at this and saying, how can you do what you need to do? And one thing that I think is very true, and I've seen Raph Marlborough, uh from the Saints Happy Hour podcast, he says this all the time, and I think it's true. The salary cap does exist but it does not prevent you from doing what you want to do. It prevents you from doing everything you want to do. You have to make decisions. You have to figure out what's worth it and what's not. Quarterback, worth it. A $60 million safety, not worth it. Simple, right? Apparently not. (laughs) But here's one last clip, and uh, it is Dennis Allen basically saying what I just said. And yet... Look, the salary cap's real, you know, and, and so, um, yeah, so it, like, you can't go out and do all the things that you might want to do. Um, you know, we have to be selective in, in, in how we go about our business and, and, and free agency, and so, um, but yet we've always been that way. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right, let's going to wrap it up for this episode of Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. Came at you solo today. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. We will be back at it on Monday. We'll get Steve Geller back for that one. Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter if you want to hear about anything specific. We're kind of entering the dead season of the NFL, so we're going to be kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel for ideas. So if there's anything you want to hear about, if you have topics, if you want us to dive in on something specific, let me know and and I will gladly do it. Again, that's at Jeff underscore Noack. You can hit me up on email if you'd like. It's my full name, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y dot N-O-W-A-K at odyssey.com. Let me know. Tell your friends. Tell your dog. Make sure everyone subscribed if you have not already. And uh, we'll be back at you early next week. Thanks, y'all. Go UConn. Peace.